Now look to James chapter 4, we're in verses 11 and 12 today, focusing on a small number of verses, but man, they are power-packed. So let's read God's word together, uh, just taking your scripture and, and following along. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. No one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Excuse me, the one who does speak. That's what I should have said. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So, Father, we've read your word, and I pray now that your Holy Spirit has already begun to use it to shape us, to help us to think rightly, and to bring us in alignment with who Jesus Christ is and what his life is all about in us by his spirit. We pray that he would be blessed and honored by our intentions to walk faithfully with him in these truths. Help us, God, I pray. Amen. We are at risk these days of losing the, the understanding of the destructive nature of backbiting. Uh, as I was growing up, uh, we would say if somebody was speaking against you or speaking about you, you'd say, don't slam me. Anybody ever use that term? Uh, don't slam me. So this message is about slamming people. And what I mean is don't slander, don't backbite, don't gossip, don't belittle, uh, don't bring defaming words against someone, either to them or behind them, to someone else. That's what the Bible calls evil speaking. And James is going to directly address that. Uh, in the United States, it's as if this is the universal language today. Uh, all the cynicism and all the jabs seem to be in that way of a downward speaking among people. It's the common vernacular, isn't it, of today. In fact, uh, politicians uh, who used to express ideas, ideology, uh, would express those and it would become their dogma to do that, but now it's as if their main communication is how they can despair against someone else, how they can attack someone else and belittle someone else. It's not the way it's supposed to be in the church, that's for sure. Social media seems to be the digital megaphone today if you want to speak against somebody. Uh, social media seems to be a platform by which that is done. And humorous punchlines today are the sucker punches to the spirit. And what James is saying is that might be the way it is in the world, but don't let it be that way in the church. Don't let it be that way among us. That kind of speech has no place in the church. In fact, James is helping us to understand the severity of speaking evil against people by helping us to understand that those who practice downgrading other people actually have a disdain for God and the law of God, the word of God, and the people of God. So he's just raising a flag, saying you ought to be thinking about that and you ought to use that as a way to test the way you're thinking. So according to James, people who run off at the mouth or even run off at the keyboard should strongly consider the authenticity of their faith. If that's your regular routine, James is saying, hey, heads up, this is another test of authenticity of faith. If you had that issue that is practiced, ongoing, backbiting, evil speaking against other people, then you ought to do a checkup of your faith. 
So you might say, why? Why would James be so bothered by the words that I say and the words that I use to people or about people? Well, James, as you know, is rooting most of his teaching in the instruction of Christ Jesus. And the Lord said this, that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So James is saying the authenticity of faith or the disingenuous faith that one might proclaim actually is exposed by our words, by our mouths. So if you have this interaction about people or to people that is degradating, that is downward in its focus, constantly moving people downward, then James says you ought to do a faith checkup because it might be that you don't have authentic faith. So the way we talk about people is obviously a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And because it's a big deal to God, it's in his word. Throughout the Bible, we find that God specifically says this over and over. Be careful what you say about me. Be careful what you say about other people. In fact, I've just given you some highlights of that in the scripture today that's in your handout. It'll be on the screen as well. Leviticus 19. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. And look how he's registering this. I am the Lord. So this has nothing to do with the circumstance. It has nothing to do with the personalities. This, this relational way that you have, the way you talk about people, the way you talk to people, is based on who God is. I'm the Lord. You shall not do this, he says. Now look at Proverbs 16, 27. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. So over and over, the scripture will give us many accounts of being careful about what we say. Now, once what God gives us a new nature, he makes us to be spiritually born again by faith in him who has sent his son, then our attitudes and our words change because our heart changes. And because our heart has changed, the expression of our heart is changed. It's the reason why the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesians, and he says, now listen, things ought to be different now. Why? Because you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Because you're forgiven in Christ Jesus, you have new life in him, your life ought to be different. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Here's the difference. Instead of doing those things, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So our words and our, our attitudes and the way we talk about people, talking to people, ought to always be different now that we have been transformed by Christ. You extend grace to them because God has extended grace to you. You show forgiveness to them because God has shown forgiveness to you. You give love to them because God is giving love to you. It's an exercise of, of uh, what you have received. So here's the bottom line. God's command through James is do not speak evil against people, especially your faith family. That's the bottom line. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. That's what he's calling out. Now, it's interesting this word speaking evil against is one word in the original language. It's kataleo. And uh, it's a compound word, meaning you know, it's a couple of words that are framed up one. So kata is a preposition that means down. And laleo is, a, is an utterance, it's, it's the uh, sound of speech, it's, it's the dialogue that you have and what you hear. Uh, there's another word that he could have used, lego, which just means I have an articulated thought that I'm putting into words. But he's not using that one, he's using one that is more generic, it's, it's the sound of words. 
So he's saying whatever is coming out of your mouth and the sound of that which is coming out of your mouth, don't let it be a casting down. It gets translated in some ways as backbiting. So it carries a connotation of don't speak behind someone's back in a negative way to tear them down. That's just plain out gossip. That's uh, belittling. It comes across as, uh, did you hear what so-and-so did? Hey, I tell you the story about, uh, we need to pray about this. Let me tell you what's happened. He says, don't do that. Don't speak evil in that way against your brothers. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to rebuke one another. There are times that that is very much in love and very much needed. Uh, you will rebuke someone and should rebuke someone if they are unrepentant in their sin and going away from God. The loving thing would be to rebuke them, to draw them back to the way of God. Or if there's a false teaching and that teaching is not being ceased, it would be the responsibility of the church to rebuke that individual for sharing the false truths that he's espousing or she's proclaiming. But so this is not saying don't rebuke people. There is biblical precedent for that, and Jesus himself gave us that in Matthew 18. What he is saying is don't be malicious. Don't be slanderous. Don't be a gossip. Don't be one who speaks evil about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the reason why it's a big deal is because we've been transformed. So let's think about this. Our relationship, which has been transformed in Christ, is really the grounding for which we have relationship with other people here at Meadowbrook. So because I have been made new in Christ, because you've been made new in Christ, then our relationship ought to express that newness that Christ has developed in us. So we have a general expectation at Meadowbrook that our relationships will be filled with love and edification and restoration and grace. These are the things we ought to expect. We ought not expect that we're going to have maliciousness or backbiting or slanderous conversation or, or that we're going to speak down to people. Instead, we ought to expect when we come together and when we're separated that our faith family is going to be marked by love and edification and restoration and grace. Now, let's just break those down for a minute just to make sure that we're really settling into the significance of these first is that we would be a congregation filled with love and that we would express love with words and actions and attitudes and of course this love is not just something that we come up with it's not a touchy-feely thing this love is poured into us by the spirit of god and because he pours his love into us we can share that love with other people so this love is evident. In fact, God makes this love evident in that he first loved us and our response back to him is to love him. And we know that we love God and God knows that we love him as we love other people. You can't love God and not love other people. So those go hand in hand. It's the essence of the scriptures to love God and love other people. So love is a, a preeminent way in which we ought to talk to one another. We ought to be loving towards one another. Uh, Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And that word earnestly is one that I would circle if I were in my journal Bible right now because it takes an earnestness in love, doesn't it? I mean, God has earnestly loved us, has he not? I mean, there have been many times in my life that have not been very lovable, but God has been earnest in his love for me. 
Uh, the scripture says that God is long-suffering in his relationship towards us. So there's an earnestness, there's an appeal, there's a, there's a step towards, there's a commitment in. So there are times that I'm going to be fairly easy to love. There's some times that I'm not going to be easy to love. And what God says is be earnest about your love. There's some times that you're not going to be very easy to love. The people around you are not going to be easy to love. Everybody has those, those times in their life where they're not very lovable. They don't express love or they're not eager to receive love. But here's what the Bible says. Be earnest about it. You're going to have to go forward in it and even be long-suffering in it. And you can because God has demonstrated that and given that to you. The second thing is edification. Anybody use Grammarly in your writing uh, I use Grammarly. It's a software that sort of helps me to write and, and correct grammar. Too bad I couldn't like put that into my heart and let it be uh, out my mouth that way. But Grammarly said when I was writing these notes down, don't use edification. It's a word that few people know. <laughs> I'm like, well, people that read the Bible know it. Uh, obviously, the writers of Grammarly are not intrigued with the Bible enough to read it regularly. But the Bible uses edification regularly. What it means is it's a building up. It's a it's a building of the faith family encouraging it's building up the opposite of what what james is saying don't do james is saying don't tear down <laughs> and so we recognize that when we edify one another we're building each other up if i ever had a little cynicism in my voice or a little cutting bite in my comment an old friend of mine that we used to minister together two decades ago at our home church, he'd say, Randy, edify, stupid. <laughs> that, was his, uh, that was his way of saying, hey, you're supposed to be building up. And it was a fun way for us just to be reminding each other to edify. So therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. God wants us to build each other up. When you come into this place, have it in your heart that you're going to build people up. Love them, build them up, and restore them. Restoration is so essential in the church. Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And this restoration is not towards talking about them, not pointing out their sin to other people, but going to them and restoring them. And of course, Matthew 18, Jesus gives us the layout for that. Go one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, brother, can I talk to you for a moment about something? Hey, sister, can I share something with you from my heart? Recognize that you and I need to walk differently in this. And then if they don't repent of that sin and don't come towards the way of God, then you bring somebody else along, not for the purpose of talking about them, but for the purposes of elevating the seriousness of it. And you keep on getting it to the layers where it's getting deeper and deeper, involving more people so that that person might be wooed to the way of Christ till ultimately you bring it before the church. So there's a point of restoration that it's very easy and the restoration is just one-on-one. -on -one. Every, just about every scenario can be settled in that one-on-one -on -one opportunity. When you're filled with love and you're filled with edification and you have a purpose to bring them back to the way of God, to restore them. And then just be gracious. Just be filled with grace. Be people who recognize, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God has forgiven you. Forgive, be gracious. Man, what a gift that is. 
So love, edification, restoration, and grace are all the characteristics of people who thrive in the faith family and the characteristics of a church that is thriving. That would be the way we ought to be known. The opposite of that would fracture the church. The opposite of that would break the church apart. It would cause divisions among the church. It's what James says is the quarreling and fighting among you because you're not filled with love and you're not edifying and you're not restoring and you're not moving in grace. So he's alerting us to that. Now look at the logic that James is bringing. At the beginning of chapter 4, he says, where do quarrels and fights come from? Where does that start in the church? Where does that start among you as a faith family? And it basically settles down, it's an issue of pride. You don't have something, you want something, so you go after it, even though you can't have it. You ask for something that God says you don't need, or you ask for something for your selfish ways, for your self-centeredness, or for your sin, and God is not going to give it to you, and that causes tensions. So he settles down into this way. It's an arrogant and prideful position that makes the quarreling and the fighting be surfaced from amongst you. And now he's going further in the passage, and he says, you and I ought to be humble, humble before God and before one another, and that will, that will squelch all of that fighting, humility will. And now he's showing us the expression of humility is evident in our words, in that we are not backbiting, that we don't speak evil. Humble people don't speak evil of one another. Humble people recognize their position before God and they give that same position and grace to others as well. So our mouths are revealing our hearts, whatever they're filled with. And James is saying your heart can be filled with pride and it will cause division and quarrels and fights. Or your heart can be filled with humility, humility that God has blessed you with, graced you with. And that would be an expression as well in your words and in your actions and attitudes. So it comes down to this. A prideful person speaks evil of others, talks behind people's backs and puts them down that's the prideful individual and the humble person speaks in love builds up seeks to restore and communicates with grace and james is giving a test isn't he? another test saying hey you claim to have this but is it evident in your words that you are not filled with pride but instead you're filled with humility is it evident in your words because if you have a backbiting way, if you have a tearing down way against people or about people, then the evidence is not clear that God has brought a transformed heart to you. Now, obviously, the, the heart is the main issue. Not our words, it's the heart that's the main issue because the mouth just expresses what's going on in the heart. So the rest of the verses, 11 and 12, James helps us to build our heart that our words might be correct. Now, this is... a a couple of verses that because they might be a little bit confusing when we read them we might pass right by them but let's don't do that let's settle down in these two verses and figure out what he's saying let's build up this truth so that our words will be different i'm going to give you four quick points of what i think james is saying number one he's saying view other christians as your family view them as family now see if you can pick up on the the uh, redundancy here it's pretty easy to do so don't speak evil against one another brothers the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brothers and then he's going to go on and carry out that thought which i'll make that in the second point so the obvious thing the redundancy here is the brother right and, and that means family he's he's saying listen 
the way you treat family, faith family, ought to be very unique. It ought to be marked with love and edification and restoration and grace. The, the way you treat people ought to be different because of who they are. So persecution and slander and maliciousness and backbiting and lying about and, and all that stuff, we expect that out there, right? In an unregenerate world, that's exactly what we expect. Before we were saved, that's exactly what we did. But now that we've been transformed from the inside out, it ought to be different. The way we live our lives and the words that we use ought to be different. So church life, being here, living life together, going through our ages together is an antidote for a hostile world. When you come in this place, it's different. This is not the place for us to talk about each other and backbite against each other and lie about each other or gossip about each other. That's what you get out there. In here, it ought to be the safe place. This ought to be the different place. Uh, Kay and I raised three boys, and you know how boys can be rambunctious at times, and uh, we, we were grateful to have boys because it's like when spats happened, they happened, and then it was done. Uh, we didn't have this long-lasting, lingering, pouting kind of thing, and a lot of drama. We didn't have drama at our house. It was like a, a vicious moment, and then it was like, done. And uh, we learned in time, number one, if you're not destroying the house and you don't draw blood, don't bother us, okay? <laughs> you can work this out on your own. But there were times that we would have to say, hey, time out come here and I would remind them periodically listen out there that's the kind of stuff you're going to experience out there people are going to be against you people are going to fight you they're going to make fun of you they're going to call you names out there it's going to be that way but in here it won't be that way in here this is our safe place this is the place where we want to love and encourage we want to be different in here I can't change how it is out there but I can change how it is in here and we just want to live in that way. Listen, that's, that's a good way for a family to be. And it's a good way for a church family to be. In here, there's difference. Living life in relationship with you is very different. And it ought to be love-filled, encouraging, edifying, restorative, and grace-filled. Treat each other as family. That means... God wants your life group to be a loving, safe place. God doesn't want there to be tensions in your life group because people are talking about people. He doesn't want there to be masked prayer requests that actually are gossip. God doesn't want there to be backbiting and downward pushing of people. He doesn't want the jabs. He doesn't want the criticism. God says, in your life group, let it be the safe place. Let it be that you are God's gift of grace to your life group. And the same thing for your ministry teams. Your ministry teams, when you come and serve alongside of each other with the giftedness God gives you, you are a gift to them. It's not just about what you're doing in ministry, but it's you being a gift to the people that you're doing it with, that you're serving with. God wants every interaction that we have as a faith family to be different than putting down, speaking evil against, or backbiting. He wants us to be expressions of goodness and grace to one another. And we ought to be earnest about that. So if we set, uh, fail to see God's provision for the faith family here at Meadowbrook, failing to view each other as brothers and sisters, 
then it will be evident in the way we speak about each other and to one another. Galatians 5.15 says it this way. This is out of the New Jerusalem Bible. If you go on snapping at one another and tearing one another to pieces, take care, you'll be eaten up by one another. This is a destructive way of life, and he's helping us to discover we ought to be different than that. Now, there's contentiousness in our culture right now in the country and we are vulnerable to that tension I know you and I probably are somewhat struggling with that there's a lot of uncertainty isn't there uncertainty about COVID uncertainty about political divisions uncertainty about economy and what will happen in the future and that unsettledness uh, you and I have to be very eager and diligent to love and build people up in the midst of that because people are in somewhat um, of a tense moment. This is the place where we ought to come together on Sundays and soon to be on Wednesdays or any other time we're ministering. This is the place where we ought to think about that. The tensions that people feel, the unsettledness that they're wondering about, that which they're struggling with, this is a place where we recognize that and we say, hey, I am God's gift to them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to encourage them, build them up. I'm going to help restore them, and I'm going to give grace. And when we do that, we'll receive as well. And it will be the right kind of atmosphere for the family of God. Could I ask you, are you living in that way in this faith family? I've had to ask myself that, and there's some moments that I've had to circle back to and say, God, I wasn't your grace to that person at that time. I, I sense that there's times that there's tension that's under the, under the surface, if you will. If you notice, you've had conversations, and sometimes the conversations get way disproportionate to whatever's really going on, and you're like, wow, how did that escalate so quickly? We were just talking about this, and now all of a sudden, blah, it's everywhere. It's because there's this undercurrent that has not been yielded, that anxiety that has not been yielded to the Spirit. There's not been that identification of, okay, Prince of Peace, you rule and reign, and you're sovereign over my life, and for the moment, I've gotten detracted from that. And that little conversation that was just about something small now is something big, we're going to have to be very grace-filled, recognizing that that is what people are dealing with right now. But here, we're going to speak into people in a way that builds them up and not tear them down. You've got good opportunity to tear people down right now because you've got enough tension to have that feel. Anybody ever wake up and just think, I want to hit somebody? <laughs> My wife does that all the time. I just wondered if y'all had that too. <laughs> Don't tear down, right? Uh, she's the opposite of that. Uh, so let's purpose that every conversation we have today to be one of love, to be one of encouragement, building up, to restore, and to be filled with grace. Let's be intending, even as we walk out in just a few minutes, that we will be God's gift of grace to the people that we interact with. All right, so understanding Christians as brothers and sisters, that's, that's a good base for us to develop this on. Secondly, is understand the law of God. Now, here's the way James is putting this. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. Now, wait, wait, I thought he was speaking evil against the brother. James is saying you might be speaking against the brother, but in actuality, you're speaking evil against the law. 
and you judge the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. All right, anybody confused? It's one of those moments that you just have to stop and say, okay, Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. My ears are open. My heart's ready. I'm engaged. Help me to understand this. Man, I prayed that so many times as I've been studying the scriptures. Help me to understand this. So I think what he's saying here is that there is a center to every law, and the center of every law is love. When you think about the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, when you think about them, they are all centered in love. I am the Lord your God. All right, that's a statement of love, right? I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, don't love any other God. Love me and, me and only me. And you go all the way through them. You think about the latter half of that when we're interacting with people. You shall honor your father and mother. That's a, that's a love law, isn't it? Or you shall not murder. You certainly can't be a lover and a murderer. If you're going to love somebody, you're not going to murder them. And if you're going to love somebody, you're not going to covet what they have. If you're going to love somebody, you're not going to lie about them. All right, so every law is based on love. At the center of it is love. In fact, the Lord said this when somebody asked him, and what's the greatest command? Remember what he says? It's all based on love, right? You take all the words of the law, all the words of the prophet, and they come down to this, love God and love others. So love is at the center of the law. So the Lord and James understand that degrading people is not just speaking against them. It's speaking against the law of love, that which God requires of us to do. It's not just being offensive to people when we degrade them or when we gossip about them or we speak down to them. It's not just degrading to them. It's degrading to God and his law. You're determining that God and His law, the royal law of love, is not to you for you to obey. And you're judging the law of God, whether it ought to be obeyed or not. So speaking evil against a brother or sister is more than just being a jerk. It's explaining and that that individual has now broken God's law. You've determined that your situation for you to vent towards or that person that you're degrading in that minute, or that person that you're lying about or talking about, whatever the evil speaking is, that that situation is greater than the law of God. In fact, you're actually saying that your actions are more appropriate than God's command of the law. So here's what happens. You boot God off the throne and you say, I'll dictate my life and what I'm going to obey and not obey. I'll create my own law. Isn't that what all sin is doing? It's trying to throw God off the throne and say, not you, but me? That's the way it all started, even with Adam and Eve, who wanted not to just be under God, but wanted to be like him. Every sin moves in that direction. So this is a whole lot bigger than you just talking about people or downgrading people. This is against God's law, the royal law of love, and it is against the God of the law. For God alone is the lawgiver, and God is the, alone is the judge of the law that he has given. You and I can't, can't make that decision. So James is saying that such a person that does this, regardless of the royal law of God to love people, such a person now judges the law. In other words, you've determined that your way is above the way of God, and that makes you above God, and that is blasphemous. Who would have ever thought that a little gossip or little evil speaking would be a blasphemous way of life. 
That's why James is saying you ought to check your faith. If this is the habitual you, you ought to check your faith because it might not be genuine. So he's just building in us these truths. Number one, that we would recognize each other as family. Secondly, that we would recognize and understand the law of God. Third, that we would embrace the supremacy of God. So uh, go back one more, if you will. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Now, this is a phrase that God uses periodically in the scriptures about him. Remember when, uh, when there's this persecution and martyrdom is facing some Christians, and the Lord says, um, look, don't be fearful for them just because they can take your life. You ought to be more fearful of me who can take your body and your soul. All they can do is take your life. They can't take your soul. That's what he's saying here. I'm able to save and to destroy body and soul. Be in fear of me. So that's, that's a statement about him and only him. Nobody else can do that. You might can take my life, but you can't take my soul. You might take my life today, but you can't take my life out of eternity. So there's only one lawgiver and one judge, and what he's saying is, Randy, you're not it. You're not him. Understand the supremacy of God. Only he is capable of doing that. Only he is the one who is given to the law. Only he can judge those in the law. Only he can save or destroy. Only he can do that. So you, you need to understand that. If we're going to have the truth in our mouth and we're going to use our mouth in the right way, we have to come to this understanding. So why would we speak against someone when God alone is the lawgiver and the judge of that individual? Who are we? That's what he's going to end up saying. To judge someone else in the church, to speak against somebody else in your life group, or to judge a Christian in some other way is a coup attempt against the throne of God. It's way more than just speaking negatively about somebody. So being arrogant enough to speak evil about somebody is not only destructive in your relationship to them and against the purposefulness of the church life, but it's blasphemous against God. And then number four, you ought to consider your relationship and your position with other people. I mean, he just puts it out here in a very matter-of-fact way. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge in that way? Who are you to talk in that way? Who are you to be arrogant in that way? I think he was asking is very piercing. He was asking, at what point in your life did you become greater in your mind than the people that you talk negatively about? When did that happen? That's what he's saying. Who are you to judge? At what point in your life did you begin to believe that your life is sinless enough to be able to execute a righteous judgment against somebody else? At what point did that happen? Because when you think it happened, it didn't happen. And at what point in your life did you position yourself to be on par with Jesus Christ, who alone is the judge? When did that happen? I mean, he's just very matter-of-fact, isn't he? Who who thinks himself to be the judge? Now that forces us back to the truth that we started in. The genuine relationship of faith always is in humility. And what I was just saying, who puts you as the judge? There's obviously no humility there. So James is asking us, circle back to humility. Come back to that place where it all begins humbling yourself before God and others. Now here's the three steps that I think God wants us to be attentive to today. 
Number one, humble yourself before God and others, and that humility comes with confession. There's probably a conversation you could go back to, probably an individual that you could say, hey, I'm downward towards that individual. I don't like that person, and I want them to know it. I don't like that person, I want others to know it. That ought to be humbled, that attitude. And the way we humble ourselves is we ask God for forgiveness, and we ask the person that we've been offending to forgive us. It might be that you have to circle back to a life group. It might be that you have to circle to an individual. It might be in a ministry area that you just say, hey, in humility before God, I confess my sin, and I confess it to you. And then go a step further. Ask the Spirit of God to fill you as you empty yourself of that sin, yielding yourself to Him and His Word. Ask Him to control you in that. And then number three, walk in repentance by pursuing love, edification, restoration, and grace. Just choosing to walk in those ways. So humble yourself, asking God to forgive and ask the person to forgive. Is there somebody in your family? Is there a neighbor? Is there a church member? Is there a previous church that you ought to humble yourself before God and the individual and ask for a restoration? Ask the Spirit to fill you as you've yielded to Him and His Word. And then choose to walk in repentance with love, edification, restoration, and grace. And if you do that, if I do that, then my friends, we will be God's gift of grace to the people around us. What an amazing experience that kind of church life is. Where you come onto the campus, you drive in, and all of a sudden people are just loving and gracious and building you up and constantly giving grace to you what an amazing opportunity that is and jesus says yes when you live in that way then all the people around will know that you have love for me and that you are my disciples oh may the lord be honored by a church that's filled with those kind of folks led by a pastor who thinks and acts in those ways so help us god we pray right amen let's pray Father, I pray that you would help us in this moment with your grace to be humble before you, not be brash, not be arrogant, but humble, and recognize the love and the edification, the restoration and grace that you have given to us, and that in return, we would give that to other people. May we be your gift to the people around as we speak to them in loving ways. Help us, Lord. 